You can be seated. Continue, continue to uh, bless our children among us because there are children among us and because got, we got brothers over here and we got a whole brother thing going on and they need our blessing and we need them. So, kids, the Lord be with you as you worship. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would send your spirit to make real these words for us. We need you to hear them. We need you to understand them. And we need you to put them into practice. So we invite you to send your spirit. Illuminate the text in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On this night, uh, Monday, Thursday, Monday, 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 Thursday, uh, we remember that uh, Jesus gave a new commandment that around the table gathered with his disciples, sharing supper on the night before uh, he died, he gave a new commandment. He said, You should love one another just as I have loved you. Uh, here's the end of a, a poem by Malcolm Geit. And here he shows the full extent of love to us whose love is always incomplete. In vain we search the heavens high above. The God of love is kneeling at our feet. Though we betray him, though it is the night, he meets us here and loves us into light. There's a uh, short film that I watched recently called Guava Island. Uh, Guava Island uh, tells a story about this island, um, this mythical island that is at the center of the world. And this island is filled with the magic of the gods. It's a paradise. It's a perfect place. It's filled with magic. It's teeming with life and with fruit. Part of the story of Guava Island is a Paradise Lost kind of story. A, uh, a how-did-we-end-up-here kind of situation. Uh, Guava Island was a perfect place until humans came and messed it up. The, the story, the kind of mythical origin story that's told uh, at the very beginning of this film is that the gods um, created... Uh, two opposing forces in the world, love and war. And they tried to create an island uh, in which um, uh, neither were present so that life could flourish. Because apparently uh, the kind of love that they created was a selfish love. Uh, One of the things that, that Guava Island has is this beautiful, rare blue silk. And of course, um, some humans... Uh, found the silk and loved it. They wanted to take it. They desired to have it. And so their desire to have it leads to, de- to greed, uh, to division, and to war. 
and it ruins everything. The gods are so disgusted uh, at what they see happening, at the insolence and this action, that they turn their backs. The gods turn their backs on the people. And as a result, the island um, loses its fruitfulness and its, its paradise. The island is no longer the lush paradise that it once was, and now it, its inhabitants are locked in enmity and division. Now uh, a family called the Red Family, they control the island's main resource, this blue silk, and they have become hegemonic overlords to uh, the rest of the people, the proletariat on the island, who labor day after day with little income. They get no break. There's no day off, day after day. Uh, and they don't make enough money to get off the island. And the island just is, uh, isn't what it used to be. They're trapped on this island, and they long to escape. So part of this story probably sounds familiar. Story of uh, Paradise Lost. That story of you look out on how things are and you're like, how in the world did we get here? What's going on here? Maybe you've seen recently how we live in a world characterized by selfish taking. We take. We have learned to take. And people have taken things from us. We, we have learned, uh, we have been programmed in a, in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of, a lot of implicit ways in our history, in the way that we're taught to see things. But we've learned to see the world as ours to possess, to consume. We take, and then we defend against others who want to take what is ours. Uh, I don't don't think, um, and maybe your experience is different, I don't think that most of us uh, run around um, like wanting to take things from people. I think most of us are just like trying to do our best day by day, just doing our best to get along. I think we actually all long not to be the kinds of people who take, who selfishly take. And we long to be the kinds of people who are freed from uh, the actions of others and who want others to not to be oppressed by the actions of those who take and lord it over others. I think that's true of everybody. Christians and non-Christians. I think we really do long for this. But the question is, how? How? How do we become the kinds of people who do not selfishly take? How are the powers that leave some people in oppression over others, how are those disassembled and disrupted and put to an end? How? I think we see this question all over the place. I mean, even today, if you're just like, Seeing the news, it's coming out. People are wrestling with this. On this Monday, Thursday, as we look at that question, we declare, in the midst of a world shaped by selfish taking, that the origin mythology of Guava Island is false. It's a false story. The story of paradise until humans came and messed it up. And the gods being so upset that they turned their backs on the people who screwed it up. It's a false story. And it's not the story revealed in Jesus Christ. Often, uh, Jesus' Jesus's death uh, on the cross, which is kind of what we're focusing in on this, uh, this week, 
Jesus' death on the cross gets construed like this. Christ died so that God could love us. Maybe you've never heard uh, a pastor or a minister or a preacher or radio personality say it exactly that way. But maybe you've heard some version of that. Has anybody heard some, or at least like absorbed, like in the water, some version of that? Is that Christ died so that God could love us. As if the cross was a solution to a problem that God had with sinful humanity. Thank God that Jesus died on the cross so that God wouldn't be angry with us anymore, so that he could love us and we could be his children. Has anybody picked up this story? We affirm, we declare today on Monday Thursday that that is not the story revealed in Jesus Christ. And it sounds so simple uh, to say, but I, I think it's affects, uh, like we, we really need to, um, to listen because the effects are huge. It's not that Christ died so that God will love us. It's that the cross is how God loves us. I know that sounds so simple. That's the good news on Monday, Thursday. The cross is how God loves us. When Jesus stoops to wash his disciples' feet, it reveals God's mission of cross-shaped love. When Jesus stoops to wash his disciples' feet, it reveals God's mission of cross-shaped love. And this, is, this has been the whole mission all along. That's part of what is revealed here, is that God has always been on a mission of self-giving, cross-shaped love. By receiving this, by entering into this reality of God's reaching out to us, in cross-shaped love, by receiving it, by entering it, we get included in it. By receiving it, by entering it, we get included in Jesus' mission to wash the feet of the world. The big reveal here on Monday Thursday, what's revealed here, is that all that God does, everything that God does, is for love's sake. There's no division here in God. All that God does is for love's sake. Jesus reveals that God always acts in self-giving love. This way, this, this life, this mission is what we are invited to enter into. And tonight, even tonight, tonight on Monday, Thursday, we are invited to enter God's mission in Christ of self-giving love. So understand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that um, we understand that all along that God has been this uh, self-absorbed bully that he th- that who throws his weight around and does whatever he wants, and then we're just going to take the um, title of love and we're just going to stick it on top of that, that that's what it is. That, that uh, God's actions get primarily understood in terms of the way that the world uses power, and we're going to call that love. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Jesus' actions this week what is symbolized in Jesus stooping to wash his disciples' feet, the words and actions of Jesus dissolve, deconstruct, blow up any suggestion that God 
is a self-absorbed bully. But in fact, it reveals the heart of God, which is self-giving love. So what I'm getting at, what I'm getting at, I'm getting at atonement, that big theological word that has to do with why Jesus died on the cross for us, in our place, instead of us, as us. Atonement atonement means that God reaches down to us in love. And tonight, we are invited to be apprehended by that love. This is the story. God reaches down to us in love, and we are invited to be apprehended by that love. What I'm getting at is that loved people love people. This, is this question of how. How do we become the kinds of people who aren't, who aren't self-absorbed takers? How, is, how, are, how are structures and powers and principalities that are shaped systems by oppression over taking over people, how is that disrupted? It's disrupted by, by God's love, by entering into this reality by understanding our fundamental identity as beloved by God. Loved people love people. This is at the heart of what Jesus is revealing to us tonight. In fact, just as a parenthetical statement, um, this is, uh, to illustrate this a little bit, um, I'm, I'm trying to stake my parenting on that truth. Is that uh, Ruthie or now Lydia, like in their bad what they most need over the long haul to become the kinds of people who aren't self-absorbed takers is not me uh, just to throw down the hammer and get really clear on what my will is for them. But it's rather for them that over the course of their lives to overwhelmingly get the impression that I love them, that they are a person who is loved by me with the idea that over the long haul, that loved people will love people. Does that make sense? I don't want to sentimentalize this. This squishy love stuff can get kind of sentimental. Uh, I don't want to sentimentalize this because when God, we see this week that when God embodied love to the world in Jesus Christ, the world crucified him. So this is why the cross reveals both God's mission of love and our resistance to it. It reveals God and it reveals us. This is something that um, Jesus actually talks a lot about specifically in John's gospel, is that the judgment of the world is revealed in the world's very rejection of him. Did you catch that? Like the judgment isn't something that God like pronounces arbitrarily down on people. But the judgment is revealed in the very fact that love came among humanity in the world. And when the world saw it, the world did not know it. And they rejected it and killed it. That's the judgment. Jesus says this all over the place in John. In John chapter 13, we see that Jesus atones for sin through love. And his love, Jesus' love, looks like a real, historical, physical, stooping down vulnerable sharing and giving of his body. We see that Jesus' mission was always a mission of cruciform love. Again, this like, we could have a long conversation of how this bad origin story of Paradise Lost got lodged within our Christian consciousness. 
that Christ died so that God would love us. But it's right there in the most popular verse in the Bible, the truth, which is God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave. And what uh, Jesus is saying, you, you, maybe you caught that line there in, in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, where it says that, and I love them unto the end. Over and over again, humanity and Jesus' disciples in particular are showing either their hard-heartedness or their slowness or their desire to take things into their own hands or to turn away. And over and over again, Jesus continues to pursue his disciples, to run them down, to not let their insolence or their stupidity or their ignorance or their brokenness or their selfishness disrupt his mission of cross-shaped love. He loves them into the end. And so what we see about love, we see, we see two things. First, we see that love is not an abstract thing. Love is not an abstract thing. It's not an abstract, um, go get them. Like, go, go and watch other, go ha- try harder to love people. The truth that we want to enter tonight is that there is an embodied love. There is a real, historical, embodied love that precedes us. It always precedes us. It precedes us in every way that it could precede us. Like in the obvious way that it happened a long time ago before we were born. But it also just precedes every thought that we have, every movement that we have. Before we came in here tonight, this love preceded us. This embodied love preceded us. You see, the disciples and and the Gentiles that were coming to see Jesus, it seems like they wanted a theory that uh, that they could go and do. But, Jesus says, we must first be washed. You see Peter, like, wrestling with this over and over again. Um, When Peter thinks that he's got the thing, he's like, I'm ready to do it, Jesus. He's either like, no, don't wash me, or, or, oh, I need to be washed? Okay, then wash all of me so I can go and do this. When Jesus is like, "Uh, I'm, I'm going where you cannot come, Peter's like, well, I can go, I can do this. Like, Peter and the disciples and the Gentiles, they want a theory that they can then go and do But Jesus is insisting over and over again in these last chapters of of John at the end of his life. It sounds like he's being a jerk. Like he's saying, like, no, like, don't come to me right now. But what he's saying is, is that I'm not giving you a theory of atonement. I'm not giving you a theory of love. I'm not giving you a theory of forgiveness. I'm giving you my body. And in order for you to be the kind of person who loves in the way that I love, I have to give my body. His historical, actual body. All of, and that means that all of our attempts at loving, at working for justice and goodness, all that good stuff, all of it rests on the actual, historical, broken body of Jesus. And then how that broken body continues to become present to us sacramentally. It all rests on that. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Just as I have loved you, love one another. So what's new? What's new about this commandment? Because like, loving one another isn't, isn't new. I mean, we read from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it says, Hear, O Israel. This is like from the beginning you know, of Israel's history. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. So love is not like a new thing. Like, that's not what's revolutionary. So what's new? What's new about this? What's new is what's happening in Jesus is the embodied historical giving of love. 
It's all about the just as. Every, all of the definition of love here is it, everything has to do with the just as. Love, just as I loved you. And this, this just as isn't, isn't just comparative just as. Like, it is that. Like, love in the way. Talked a little bit about that. Love in the way that I loved you. But it's also causative. So it's not just comparative. It's also causative. And that we love in the way that Jesus is love. Jesus loves because he loved us that way. And then we must enter it. We must enter that love. We must be washed so that we can enter it. Our whole lives are lived just as. They're lived because of the cause, the grounding of what Jesus' mission of self-giving love. And then they're lived in imitation of, of that. The second thing about this love that we see on the cross is that there's a power to it. But this power is, in the words of uh, the great Anglican bishop and scholar N.T. Wright, that means you have to believe everything I'm going to say next, (laughs) Uh, is that the power of the cross is a pre-articulate power. Uh, that means that the, the power of the cross, the love of the cross, is its own language. It's pre-articulate. It's like music. It's a language of its own. It's like wine. We could talk about music. We could talk about the tasting notes of fine wine. But if you really want to know it, you've got to listen to it. Because it's its own language. Even though it's important to describe, it's important for us, I mean, I'm saying a lot of words, to put words to this. To the degree that it's only words, it, it begins to reduce what it actually is. The power, the love of the cross is a pre-articulate power. And like music, you've got to listen. And like wine, you've got to drink. That's what we're acknowledging tonight. You've got to drink it. You've got to enter And so that's what we do first tonight. We enter. We come. We received. We're washed. And we drink. And the second, as we enter, we see that this opens us up to washing the feet of the world, to being joined in Jesus' mission, to being enfolded into Jesus' mission. Loved people love people, and we wash the feet of the world. And this means, first of all, it means stooping down means laying down our ego, our desire to take, to have, to lay it down, and to stoop. Then it means to share. Sharing is always a a vulnerable kind of sharing. It's a sharing of life, opening space to be with another person, to share with them, to desire the flourishing not just of yourself, but the flourishing of the other person. And then the laying down of our life, even to the point of death. And if that uh, might still um, sound abstract, especially that last part, like, okay, lay down my life, what? Um, if that still sounds abstract, I want to suggest um, that once, once we lay down our ego, share with another person, desiring the flourishing of the other, then it's, it's going to become clear what it means to lay down your life. Like once those moves are made, like if marriage has taught me anything, 
It's that I don't struggle with what laying down my life means. What I struggle with is whether or not I'm going to do it. In fact, this is what Jesus says to Peter. When Peter is like, you know, over the top, like, I'll do whatever you say, Jesus. I'll do it. You know, he's just ready to go. Tell me what to do. And Jesus' response to him is basically like, it's, you'll know. It's like, follow me in the way, in, in the way of my life. You'll know what it means to lay down your life. So I invite you guys to come tonight, uh, to come and to be washed. When we come and uh, we have our feet washed and when we dine with Jesus, we're moving our bodies with the rhythm of the gospel. We're entering its pre-articulate power because we recognize that we we can't change ourselves in our own power and we can't just change how we feel that we're going to come and we're going to enter. That's what I invite you to do.